This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York, recording on Friday, November 20th, 2020. We've got news today. W Thunderdome is moving to Tampa. Executive moves at Titan Tower in Stanford, Connecticut. The ongoing shareholders lawsuit related to WWE's relationship with the Saudi government is apparently going to be settled out of court. We'll talk about why. The Screen Actors Guild expresses support for professional wrestlers. The latest professional wrestling viewership with analysis on why AEW Dynamite this week had such a high key demo rating. Was it the equalizer? Is Denzel Washington a draw? The movie had the lead in. We'll talk about maybe other things too. But first... WWE will be moving away from the Amway Center in Orlando, Florida to yet another location in the state that is governed by Ron DeSantis. The next residence for WWE Thunderdome will be Tropicana Field in Tampa Bay. That begins on Friday, December 11th with an episode of SmackDown. You may remember once upon a time, WWE was supposed to have WrestleMania in Tampa Bay in the year of 2020. That was scheduled for April and obviously didn't happen because of the pandemic. Will WWE stay at Tropicana Field long enough, maybe, to have WrestleMania there in 2021? I don't know. But hopes for having WrestleMania, as was previously scheduled, to be happening in Inglewood, California, in a state where they're taking COVID more seriously, or excuse me, they're being more restrictive in their safety protocols, as opposed to in the free state of Florida, where Governor Ron DeSantis has vowed never to roll back restrictions. And let's think about this. Tropicana Field, an outdoor stadium, home of Major League Baseball's Tampa Bay Rays. Outdoor setting, maybe that's uh, safer to actually have fans attend TV tapings for WWE, of course, over in Duval County in Jacksonville. AEW has been doing that for months, bringing in a small, limited capacity amount of fans to watch their tapings. Will WWE do that? Well, It doesn't sound like it, at least not anytime soon. The final paragraph of this press release says, Raw and SmackDown and pay-per-view programming will be produced at Tropicana Field on closed sets with only essential personnel in attendance. WWE will continue to administer its health and safety protocols for talent, crew, and employees in conjunction with each production, including PCR tests for COVID-19, social distancing, and wearing masks, end quote. And I don't know about you, but the question that is lingering to me is, will, will we see a Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn production that allows paying fans to be seen on television wearing masks? Is that the hang up? Otherwise, why not begin to attract ticketed fans to this event like AEW does and begin to sell venue merchandise to the ticketed fans who may attend? Is it the masks? Is it? The issue of having just too few fans in attendance, that it doesn't look like a big enough crowd. 
Or maybe it's just out of the kindness of WWE's heart as they continue to monitor the ongoing progress of the virus that they just don't want to expose people to the virus, potentially. Cases in the state of Florida, according to the Florida Department of Health COVID-19 Data and Surveillance Dashboard, which you can find at floridahealthcovid.gov, that dashboard shows as it is across the country, COVID cases are on the rise. Positivity rates are on the rise. Some three consecutive weeks in a row now, the positivity rates of COVID tests getting higher and higher now uh, as of the latest measurement they show here, which is as of November 8th, which is pretty far back. Uh, But as of November 8th, that week, the seven days, I believe, preceding that, the positivity rate at 8%, whereas one, two, three, let's say three weeks prior, it was at 5%, now at 8% positive. Similar patterns of increasing positivity rates in Duval County in Jacksonville, where AEW is, at WWE's current home in Orange County in Orlando, and in their future home, Hillsborough County, which contains Tampa Bay. But WWE moving from Orlando as of December 11th, by the way, the Amway Center in Orlando looks like it's going to be taken over for the NBA coming up, also for minor league hockey that's happening in Orlando, possibly getting in the way there. So they are moving to a stadium that is uh, primarily occupied by a baseball team, baseball season now having come to an end. And then from there, WWE executives are moving in and out of the company. First, we learned yesterday, was that yesterday or today? Today, we learned, but it happened earlier this week. Executive Vice President John Brody has been let go by WWE, according to PW Insider. Brody had been with WWE since 2014. He was the Executive Vice President, the Global Head of Sales and Partnerships, and the Head of International. It was also reported recently that as of August, Stephanie McMahon, the Chief Brand Officer, has taken over his department as as the global head of sales and partnerships, but it was also reported that he was still working with the company, but apparently not as of this week. PW Insider suggested that there might be more executive moves still to come. And then an SEC filing came out just this afternoon on Friday, an 8K filing stating that longtime Chief Accounting Officer Mark Cowell, Cowell, maybe it's Cowell, has left WWE He had been with the company for 19 years. But the filing also states that incoming, apparently essentially replacing him, is Karen Mullane, who has been appointed the controller and principal accounting officer. That's as of Thursday. Mullane previously was the CFO for a company called Create Me Technologies. She also previously worked for SeatGeek. But according to her LinkedIn profile, she also worked for the online retailer of handmade goods, Etsy where she was the vice president and controller from January 2014 to November 2017, a timeline that very much overlaps with the time that WWE's new CFO, Christina Salen, also worked at Etsy, where she was the CFO for Etsy as well. So it appears Salen bringing in one of her former co-workers into WWE to essentially become the new chief accounting officer, or as she is titled here, the controller and principal accounting officer. Um, I don't know about the the John Brody exit, but it it does look at least this move is more along the lines of when there are new major executives uh, coming into the picture, as as is the case for WWE with the new additions of 
Christina Salen as CFO and Nick Khan as chief revenue officer. Uh, it's, it's sort of like think about it in, in sports where the new head coach comes in and they fire all of the uh, the assistant coaches and bring in their their favorite uh, offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, some of their allies from the past. Uh, the filing does disclose that Mullane uh, will receive a base salary of $415,000. She received a sign-on bonus of $61,500. She is also eligible for incentive bonuses. Again, this is in an SEC filing, an 8K filing that you can find at corporate.w.com or in the sec.gov filings for WWE. And just when we thought we had seen it all for the day, then came in another email alert, another SEC filing this afternoon, another 8K announcing that as of Wednesday, November 18th, 2020, WWE has entered into a term sheet to settle the previously disclosed action titled City of Warren Police and Fire Retirement System individually and on behalf of all others similarly situated versus World Wrestling Entertainment Inc., Vincent K. McMahon, George A. Barrios, Michelle D. Wilson. That lawsuit currently pending in the United States District Court of the Southern District of New York. Uh, listeners of WrestleNomics Radio will remember that this is a class action lawsuit that uh, many shareholders uh, have filed against WWE basically alleging that WWE misled investors, particularly as it relates to the Middle East-North Africa TV deal that was supposedly being negotiated by WWE with a TV company in the Middle East called MBC, Middle East Broadcast Company, excuse me, Middle East Broadcasting Center, a television company that is owned in the majority by the Saudi government. The plaintiffs allege that WWE was not uh, forthright or honest or, or was misleading in saying that they were continuing to negotiate a TV deal. A TV deal did not materialize. A TV deal in that region still has not materialized. Uh, the last time WWE had a significant TV deal in the region was with a broadcaster called OSN. Uh, OSN decided to stop doing sports TV in early 2019. And again, between uh, that time and throughout 2019, George Barrios and other W executives talked about how they were negotiating a MENA TV rights deal and that they anticipated certain OIDA margins in, in anticipation that they would complete such a deal. Such a deal was never completed. Uh, w investors who are associated with this class action lawsuit allege that this negatively impacted the stock price. Uh, I would point out that there were many other factors that impacted the stock price. But in the complaint, we do get uh, a lot of discussion about uh, supposedly a deteriorating relationship between WWE and the Saudi government. We get allegations about uh, the Halloween 2019 plane ride from hell where uh, WWE talent were stuck in Riyadh following uh, the Crown Jewel 2019, just over a year ago. The complaint alleges that, uh, according to confidential witness number two, who is apparently a WWE wrestler, former WWE wrestler. Confidential witness number two says that he was told by Mark Carano from WWE Talent Relations, again, allegedly, according to confidential witness number two, this is all in the complaint, allegedly, Vince McMahon and the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, had had some sort of dispute 
over something, which led to Vince McMahon cutting the broadcast in the middle of the Crown Jewel event, which allegedly led to many WWE uh, wrestlers, perhaps others, being stranded at the airport in Riyadh. And I believe also uh, they were were sent back to a hotel uh, for some time before they finally uh, were able to fly out. You may remember this was the, uh, they ended up not being able to make the WWE SmackDown that Friday, which was in Buffalo, New York, it just so happened. And consequently, many NXT wrestlers uh, ended up appearing on SmackDown that night, since so many were unable to make it to Buffalo in time. But anyway, the the Saudi events uh, and the Saudi relationship is just part of this. What's really at the, the core of the argument is that According to shareholders, you know, WWE, you, you promised that you'd be, ma- you'd be finishing this TV deal for the Middle East and North Africa region. You promised it and you strung us along and then no deal materialized. And we feel like we were misled and we feel that the stock price suffered as a result. And we feel that our investment, our market value in WWE stock was damaged as a result. That is the argument, roughly according to the plaintiffs. But anyway, the news is that, again, we have this 8K SEC filing that comes out today, again, today being Friday, and I will read from the filing again, uh, which says, Plaintiffs in the lawsuit alleged securities law violations by the company, that is WWE, its current chief executive officer, Vince McMahon, its former co-presidents, George Barrios and Michelle Wilson, related to certain disclosures concerning WWE's business relationship in and with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The term sheet was reached in connection with a voluntary mediation, which involved the plaintiffs and their counsel, the company, that's WWE, and its counsel, and the company's insurance carriers. Aside from the term sheet, there will be other standard and customary terms of class action settlements and the stipulation of the settlement. The settlement is subject to the notice to the class and preliminary and final approval of the court. So, end quote, they're going to settle this lawsuit Right, the plaintiffs and their lawyers, WWE and their lawyers, and WWE's insurance carriers all got together and they mediated. They had a, a some sort of mediation. They're agreeing to settle this out of court. It goes on. The settlement will include a full release of all defendants in connection with the allegations made in the lawsuit and will not contain will not contain any admission of liability or admission as to the validity or truth of any or all allegations or claims made by any of the defendants. And quote, WWE is admitting to no wrongdoing. WWE is admitting to no truth. WWE is admitting to nothing. So they say, by coming to this settlement, they are not even admitting to the reporting of Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. However, you may have noticed, Dave did tweet this afternoon, casting shade on all his doubters. He tweeted, I guess those things really did happen. All those reporters in and out of wrestling who insulted me and others on our coverage of that story, real ones, should apologize. Fake ones, I don't expect much from. But you do expose which is which on this one. And quote, a real tweet from Dave demanding apologies from real and fake wrestling journalists alike. That notwithstanding, WWE admits to no wrongdoing, to no truth of any of the allegations, etc., etc., now, here's, here's what everybody wants to know. How much did they settle for? The term sheet provides for a settlement payment. I'm reading from the filing again. Subject to court approval 
of $39 million, which includes all the plaintiff's attorney fees and expenses and settlement costs, all of which the company expects will be paid by the company's insurance carriers. So the money not coming directly from WWE, but from insurance carriers. Uh, It has been suggested to me that the type of insurance that would cover this kind of settlement is called errors and omissions insurance. So this would be something that WWE, a type of insurance that WWE carries and probably pays a premium for. This might result in WWE having to pay an increased premium since they're going to make this insurance carrier or carriers uh, pay out on a claim. So as far as WWE financials, uh, you know, fighting this lawsuit was probably costing the company quite a bit in legal fees. Uh, But the settlement itself does not sound like it will directly come from WWE's finances. So let's think. Let's think why. Why would WWE settle? Now, even though WWE is not is, is saying in the in the settlement and in this 8K, you know, because we're settling this, we admit to no wrongdoing. That doesn't mean that we're admitting to the truth you know, of any of the allegations. Um, but why? What is the thought process here? Maybe. Uh, for one thing, it would require WWE to continue to pay legal fees to continue to fight this lawsuit. Continuing to fight the lawsuit would also probably cause there to be uh, additions to the discovery, that is the sort of... Uh, information that is right now confidential and private to the company, it would require WWE perhaps to continue to disclose and make public as part of the, the court records uh, information like you know agreements or communications with the Saudi government or, or, or any other parties that WWE does not want to, to have their communications or their records disclosed with. So it prevents the continued disclosure of information that may lead to critical press. It stops uh, places like WrestleNomics Radio from learning new information that maybe doesn't present WWE in the best light, but more importantly, mainstream media outlets might cover a thing like that as well. It might create a precedent, a legal precedent about, and someone can correct me if I'm getting the uh, the terminology wrong here, but it might create a, a legal precedent about what kind of information is material for WWE, that, what kind of information WWE would then in the future need to disclose if WWE, as a result of this litigation, disclosed the value of the OSN deal or the value that was being discussed you know, for a TV deal with this NBC TV partner. Other additional possible factors about why it might be in WWE's best interest to settle this, maybe continuing to fight this legal battle would require somebody like Vince McMahon to be deposed and to have to be interviewed and questioned about this case, about you know, issues related to it, including maybe you know, questions along the lines of, so we're alleging that you had some sort of disagreement with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. What really happened, Vince? Vince McMahon probably would prefer not to have to answer questions like that on the record. Maybe other reasons as well that just stacked up on one side of the scale to where the costs of continuing to fight this lawsuit outweigh the benefits of settling it, even if it requires WWE to pay a higher insurance premium in the future. Uh, while we're at it here, just some additional background about you know why did a TV deal never get done and why still has a TV deal not been done? In fact, uh, Vince McMahon uh, took a question on the Q&A at the last 
investors uh, earnings call, which was October 29th. Uh, Vince took a question about this from an analyst uh, about whether there was any update on the progress of a TV deal. And Vince kind of kind of laughed it off and said that uh, I'm sure we'll get a, a deal done someday. And I sure as heck don't want to put a timeline on it. Uh, so not very promising. Doesn't sound like a deal is going to get done anytime soon. Uh, it appears that uh, MBC, again, a, a company that is owned in majority by the Saudi government, uh, reportedly, by the way, the Saudi government uh, came into control of MBC as a result of the Ritz-Carlton shakedown in Riyadh, uh, a shakedown organized by the government where they collected a number of, I believe it was business people and um, maybe other royal family members and essentially made them stay at the hotel and did not allow them to leave with the public explanation that this was Crown Prince MBS's way of fighting corruption just after he came to power. And one of the products of the Ritz-Carlton shakedown was that WWE, <laughs> the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia came to control this TV company, MBS, MBS, NBC. <laughs> oh, and furthermore, so why hasn't WWE been able to complete a deal? Well, apparently the Saudi government also, uh, in the world of media, supports a pirate broadcaster called Be Out Q, which apparently is being used to antagonize the Qataris by broadcasting all sorts of uh, pirated TV, including WWE programs in the region. And it appears that you know NBC doesn't want to pay for programming that is already being broadcasted illegally in the region by a pirate broadcaster. Why pay for something that someone else is already putting out there for free? So in my assessment, that appears to be the reason, unless uh, better information emerges. That's the reason why WWE has yet to make a deal in the MENA region and has not had a paying TV deal, as far as I know, in the Middle East, North Africa region since the 2019, the early 2019 uh, period when the OSN deal came to an end and OSN, again, just decided to stop broadcasting sports. OSN, by the way, deciding to drop sports because of competing pirate broadcasters. So it appears that the actions basically of the Saudi government are precluding, preventing WWE from completing a MENA TV deal. You know, a TV deal that I would guess would be worth maybe less than $10 million a year for WWE. So that, that's much smaller of a value than the much larger value that WWE is getting from the event deal, which we talk so much about. WWE's 10-year agreement with the Saudi government to provide two events per year, $50 million, five, zero, $50 million every time it goes there, two times a year, that's $100 million a year, 10 years, that's $1 billion over 10 years. Uh, a lot more money than a MENA TV deal would provide them. So even though they can't complete, apparently, a TV deal in that region, WWE is still becoming very rich uh, as it relates to the Saudi deal. You know, In terms of economics, they would rather have $100 million a year for the event deal than, let's say, $10 million a year for a TV deal. And then from there, a note about a new TV partner for All Elite Wrestling, Space, which is a Latin American TV channel, which is owned, by the way, by Warner Media. Space will now be carrying AEW Dynamite. 
But space is also a TV home for Lucha Libre AAA. And there was uh, some appearance, I guess, according to the schedule, where it looked like AAA wasn't going to be on the schedule going forward, uh, which led to some speculation that maybe AEW was replacing AAA. So I asked AAA, and uh, according to Dorian Roldan, AAA will continue to be broadcast on space in the Latin America region. While we're thinking about AEW's TV outlets, just to review the, the TV agreements that they have in place right now, and quickly for some comparison, uh, WWE has some 40 to 50 existing TV deals throughout the, the globe. So AEW, of course, as we all know here in the United States, AEW is airing on TNT, a Warner Media property. AEW airs in the United Kingdom for ITV. It's not clear to me if AEW Dynamite is on Sky or what in what capacity it is. I'm sure there are people listening who know. Uh, I should ask about that, and, uh, and maybe someone will will tell me who is listening. In Canada, AEW Dynamite airs on Bell Media's TSN, which at one time was a broadcaster for WWE. And in Europe, AEW is on TNT. I don't know how to say this. TNT Siri. Oh man, I'm probably gonna wake up my iPhone now. Okay, but it's not Siri. S I R I. It's S E R I E. Anyway, TNT Siri in Germany, a Warner Media network. In France, Toonami, a Warner Media network. In Italy, they are on Sky Sport, another former WWE partner. And in now in Latin America, on Space, a Warner Media partner. It is interesting that AEW has such a cooperative relationship with its major TV partner, Warner Media. We don't see anything like that in the case of WWE, where, say, NBC Universal is helping WWE get TV deals across the globe. Maybe it's just connections, but it's almost as if Warner Media is very interested in the success of All Elite Wrestling. And in other news, uh, as we discussed last week, Zelina Vega slash Thea Trinidad was released from WWE tweeting out just before her release was announced that she is in support of unionization. Uh, this led to tweets of support from SAG-AFTRA. Is that how you say it? The Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, which is a labor union uh, that supports actors. Uh, they tweeted out support, and apparently uh, uh, someone from the organization and Zelina Vega have had a conversation, according to tweets from the official SAG-AFTRA account. Andrew Yang, of course, chiming in once again, uh, tweeting in support that he thinks that you know SAG would be a good uh, organization to represent wrestlers, since they are so uh, involved in producing media content for companies like WWE. No mention of AEW. Uh, I don't have a ton to add to, to this news, uh, other than to say... The discussion around the issue of unionization and the discussion about whether wrestlers should be classified as employees or independent contractors, those are two separate issues that are related but are sometimes conflated. We went through the 20-point, uh, the 20-factor test uh, and asked the 20 questions of WWE wrestlers last week. I should in the future do that for AEW also. Um, it, it's interesting that there is now 
a bit more outward support for unionization or for some sort of uh, defense of, of workers' rights for W wrestlers. Uh, I continue to not be optimistic that a union will form from within, uh, if at all, if ever, for WWE. Maybe what is more likely is that if uh, some sort of government entity en- ends up prosecuting WWE or investigating WWE over uh, misclassifying wrestlers as independent contractors when they should be employees. So as far as realistic expectations, I would look for that uh, before I would expect there to be a union formed or some sort of union representation for WWE wrestlers or, or any other wrestlers. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, "Ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. 
It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. In viewership this week, uh, Raw did a normal rating on Monday. Uh, last week's Friday, uh, SmackDown did a normal rating, slightly down from the previous week. Uh, Raw featuring a main event title match between Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre with a title change in the main event. Drew McIntyre winning the title from Randy Orton. 10 o'clock hour with the main event there. Slightly up in the key demo from the 9 o'clock hour. Slightly down in total audience. The 8 o'clock hour, the most viewed as usual. Uh, Raw ranking above everything on Monday night on cable. Uh, cable originals, except for uh, Monday Night Football, of course. Uh, Sports Center, and I believe also ESPN's pregame show for Monday Night Football. But AEW this week, uh, beating NXT in key demo and total audience, but doing a .37 in the demo. That is the highest key demo rating for AEW since September 9th, .37. Of course, September 9th was one of the nights that AEW did not go head-to-head with NXT due to preemptions. To find a night where AEW did go head-to-head with NXT with a key demo rating that was .37 or higher, I have to scroll all the way back to November 20th when AEW did a .39. November 20th, uh, not today, 2020, but November 20th, 2019. In fact, AEW's uh, P18-34, to so the young adult demographic, was higher on average for its two hours than Raw on average for its three hours. Dynamite doing a .27 in that demo, and there is not even one hour of Raw that did uh, equal to that or better. A .24 in the 8 o'clock hour, a .22 at 9 o'clock, and a .25 in the 10 o'clock hour for Raw. So this week, the most viewed wrestling program Actually, SmackDown. Uh, what does SmackDown do in that demo? SmackDown, which we only get one decimal place for, did a point four in both of its hours on Friday the 13th. But AEW doing better at least than Raw in that demographic. I think that's the, the, just the, the sprinklings of uh, what we will see further in the future as the 2023 TV negotiations approach. Uh, by the way, AEW ranking... Number seven on the night on cable in the key demo, uh, NXT at 56, the same ranking it had the week prior with a 0.14 and total audience of 638,000 viewers uh, compared to, again, AEW's key demo of 0.37 and 850,000 viewers. As it relates to NXT, uh, as you may know, if you've been listening to the show over the last uh, while, there's been uncertainty about when really WWE's uh, NXT TV deal with USA Network expires. Uh, originally, when it was announced that NXT was moving to the USA Network, uh, there were various values uh, reported or estimated, but uh, there were reports that maybe it was a one-year deal or a two-year deal. I kind of leaned towards believing that it was a two-year deal. On the last earnings call, uh, Nick Khan uh, would not specify when the deal is up, but said that Paul Levesque has a long runway, but no uh, quantitative answer. Um, I can say now uh, I'm very confident that it is a two-year deal, so the current deal will expire 
in the fall of 2021. That's based on some information that I've seen, but I don't know what that means for when we might expect a new deal to be announced or whether perhaps I suppose NXT could go back to the W network, but I would be very surprised if that's what's happened, if that's what happens. By the way, to bounce around here, back to the AEW Dynamite viewership uh, had a really strong first hour. The first hour up to 975,000 viewers in the, I'm sorry, not the first hour, the first quarter, almost 1 million viewers. So the question is, was the Equalizer, the movie that gave uh, AEW the lead-in on TNT, was there a huge lead-in for AEW Dynamite? I am told that the lead-in was actually below average for what it usually is uh, on Wednesday night. So again, that, that first quarter featuring a uh, tag match between the Young Bucks and Top Flight. That was the highest quarter of the program. So let's talk about what else has been going on in the world of WrestleNomics at WrestleNomics headquarters in particular. And you know, I had a moment earlier this week, I believe it was Monday, and with it being the holiday season, just about, we are halfway, more than halfway through November. Thanksgiving is coming up. And I was reminded of that feeling that I once felt on Christmas morning with the presents around the tree and getting to open all the, whatever, the toys or all these fun things, all these new things that I got to dive into and have fun with. All this excitement. And I had a similar experience this Monday evening. When arriving in my email inbox was, yes, an Excel spreadsheet. But not just any Excel spreadsheet. No, the Excel spreadsheet that contains the entire existing text record from showbuzzdaily.com for every single day from April 22nd, 2015 to the present. A record that contains... Every TV rating for the top 150 TV programs in the key demo, ranked by the key demo, actually through 2015, it's only the top 100. But after, uh, from January 1st, 2016 to the present, it's 150 every single day, ranked by the key demo. We've got P18 to 49 ratings for every program in the top 150. We've got P2 plus number of viewers in the thousands for every program every single day. Over 2 million Excel cells in this spreadsheet. This is big. This is big data. Of course, all of this is only possible thanks to uh, WrestleNomics friend, Matt Schroeder, who has also in the past provided us with the entire cage match and entire wrestling data, data sets in spreadsheet form. Those even bigger data sets. And, and it was like Christmas morning here at WrestleNomics headquarters when when data sets like these arrive at our email doorstep. Because it allows us to ask deep questions. You've got to remember, big data, big data are like people. You can ask them questions. And, and, and data, I find, to be significantly more intelligent at times around certain subjects. More intelligent, more informative than actual human beings. Actual human beings like to tell you things like, All TV is down! The big data, though, the big data will give you big answers, big, complicated answers. And so you may have seen I tweeted a GIF that contains something like 16 line graphs that measures W. Raw's uh, annual growth in viewership 
both in the key demo and in the total audience. It measures the WRAW viewership's decline, basically, against the behavior uh, of other uh, kinds of measurements throughout television, and, and especially sports television. And this analysis in particular excludes uh, Q4 because obviously we're still uh, in the midst of Q4 here in November for 2020. But to summarize, basically it looks like, and oh, I, I should back up and uh, explain for you know for the unacquainted that um, you know we have been following all sorts of business metrics, including TV ratings, and especially for you know WWE. Uh, as WWE, especially Raw, since Raw has been consistent in its time slot and its network for many, many years. SmackDown, to the contrary, has been moved across different time slots and different networks, whether it was Sci-Fi or USA Network or now Fox, whether it was on Friday night and Thursday night and Tuesday night and now back to Friday night. So SmackDown has had a lot of variables to it, which has boosted its viewership with really each one of those moves. Since being on Sci-Fi on Friday was... Uh, not as good as being on Sci-Fi on Thursday and then being uh, on uh, USA Network on Thursday was an, an improvement and then being on the USA Network Live on Tuesday was an improvement with a separate roster and then being on Fox, a bigger network, on Friday is an improvement over being on the USA Network. But anyway, as you may know, uh, WTV ratings have generally been on the decline, uh, network moves notwithstanding. WRAW is the easiest example to, to look at and to, to see that because it's been a consistent one-time slot, one network. And again, as you may know, the ratings for WRAW have declined a great deal over the last several years. For example, 2015, WRAW was averaging 3.7 million viewers. 3.7 million viewers. 2019, they were down to 2.4 million viewers. Again, they went from, in 2015, 3.7 million. 2019, 2.4 million. 1.3 million viewers gone. So far, the average in 2020 is 1.9 million. As it stands right now, that's almost half of the audience gone between 2015 and 2020. But key demo, 1.25 in 2015, 1.25, going down to 0.80 in 2019, now an average of 0 0.58 in 2020. That is a loss of more than 50%. That is a 54% loss right now as of November 20th. So the raw audience in those, in those five years falling in half, all kinds of all-time low records are broken each year, in fact, and have been broken again this year. You know, Raw is at its all-time low. Raw had a really hard time, and SmackDown as well, had a really hard time uh, through COVID as uh, audiences were taken away. But anyway, Raw at an all-time low in many measurements. But people will say, that doesn't matter. That's not what they're really saying is, okay, but that's not really indicative of WWE's popularity. I think that's, that's the underlying issue that we're trying to understand, or at least I'm often trying to understand. And I think that's the issue that people are basically arguing about does do the viewership trends do the does the change in viewership tell us anything about WWE's popularity in general these are large declines but tv overall is in decline and there's truth to that and, and by the way before we get into um trying to to provide some clarity here around yes WWE tv ratings have fallen 
And yes, the larger TV landscape has fallen, but let's compare those two and see who's declining more. Or let's look at sports in particular and things of that nature. Uh, We're we're getting to a level of depth here that I don't think you're going to find anywhere else but Russellomics. The conversations that I hear uh, related to this issue, you know, people will uh, p- present the, you know, the latest metric, the latest trend in W viewership or, or I guess AEW viewership or, or, or impact viewership or whatever it might be, but especially WB because they have the, the, they're the leading company and they have the longest record, uh, that is available, you know, on places like Showbiz Daily. And there's, there's other places that have, uh, deeper histories of records. But anyway, what I often hear is, you know, the, the ratings are really low again and, uh, and maybe the issue of the wider decline in television viewership is brought up. And depending on um, the, the, the pre-existing viewpoint of the person who's doing the analysis, whether they tend to defend WWE or criticize it, it might, might tell you that wider trends in television are either relevant or misleading. They might tell you things like, well, sports are still doing all right, or something like that. Or alternatively... They might tell you that WWE's ratings decline doesn't really matter in regards to popularity because all TV is down, and you can't really take that that seriously. But no analysis that I'm aware of, actually WWE's own key performance indicators are the closest, uh, but no analysis that I'm aware of uh, really tries to understand with real data just what the larger TV viewership economy is like. Uh, the, the KPIs, the key performance indicators that I'm I'm referring to uh, for a number of years have shown on the very first page a, a year-over-year comparison for Raw and for SmackDown, and they will compare it to uh, the USA Network, and now they for SmackDown, they compare it to Fox. And then they'll also show uh, in, in the next column graph next to the, the W viewership and the USA Network viewership, they will then show the top 25 cable networks year-over-year comparison. And basically what we see there is that Raw and SmackDown often are declining at more aggressive rates than the top 25 cable networks or the top four broadcast networks. WWE's viewership decline is is more aggressive than than those. Of course, WWE's average rating is higher than the average top 25 cable. They're they're looking at primetime in particular, by the way. So WWE's rating is is much bigger than the average primetime top 25 cable program, but the decline is more aggressive and similar for the comparison with the home network, the USA network or Fox. So WB providing larger audience, but more precipitous fall. So that essentially in itself is, is an answer. WB itself on its corporate website, corporate.w.com. You can go to the investor section, go to investors overview, click on key performance indicators over on the right about the middle of the page. But of course, when people you know, write their articles and write their comments and replies and record their podcasts. They don't do that for the most part. But let's talk about the top 150 through the years of 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020 as of, I think, two days ago, as of Wednesday. And what we see is actually pretty interesting, especially as as it relates to COVID. Um, What we see, let's talk about the key demo first, because the key demo has declined. Um, Basically, as the average for 2020 stands today, or Wednesday, from 2016 through 2020, key demo across the top 150 programs, Q4 
key demo across those five years is down 26%, down 26%. Same comparison for raw, down 49%. Of course, raw's audience on average is much larger than the average audience in the top 150. I mean, look at, look at the Monday night ratings. Raw is almost always within the top five on Monday. So a, again, a large audience, but an audience that is declining more aggressively than TV overall. Interesting though, the top 150, actually minor correction, the top 150 is down 28%. Again, raw down 49%. The top 150 down 28%. Down 26% is the top 100. So similar. But so far in 2020, uh, the, key dem- the average key demo rating uh, is only one point lower than the average key demo rating last year. So down only 1% at this point from the prior year in the key demo when the two years before saw 11% decline and 14% decline. Right now, only a 1% decline in the key demo. Again, key demo important because of advertisers and perhaps forecasting what the future of TV may be. But let's talk about total audience. Total audience in 2017 on average for the top 50. 2017 versus 2016 was actually up. The average 150 doing uh, 806,000 viewers in 2016, doing 839 viewers higher in 2017. That is not what I expected to see. TV overall from 2016 to 2017, overall, not in the key demo, but it increased. It was down in the key demo 5% that year, but up in total audience 4%. Now the next year, total audience falls 4% down to 807,000 viewers on average. It falls again another 4% in 2019, down to 775,000 viewers. But then, in the pandemic year of 2020, and of maybe things like impeachments, and or, or just one impeachment, in fact, uh, things like pandemics, uh, things like uh, nationwide protests, global protests, in fact, and, and a presidential election, Total audience in 2020, at this point, is up 17% from last year. Average uh, viewing audience for the top 150 programs, 905,000 viewers. Higher than last year's 775,000. That's up 17%. Same comparison year over year in 2020. Raw is down 21%. While TV overall, a lot of this is going to be driven by news, which we'll look into in a moment. But the... uh, Again, top 150 is up 17%. Raw is down 21%. And just to reach all the way across this timeline from 2016 through 2020, what's the change uh, over those five years in total audience? It's up 12%. Now, if you want to say, look, 2020 was a crazy year and a lot of people were watching TV. So let's just look at 2019. And well, in 2019 versus 2016, what we call a Kager, I think that's the right thing to call it. Uh, 2016 to 2019, if you, if you, let's assume that 2020 was just a, an anomaly. Well, still in 2019 from 2016, it was still down 4%. Down 4%. By the same comparison, raw, down 25%. So again, we get largely the same story as W's KPIs are telling us that, yes, raw's audience is, is much bigger than the average 150 audience, but the decline is more aggressive. But all right, I know what you're thinking. This is 
largely driven by news, right? So let's let's exclude the networks CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC. I should note, too, we're looking only at cable TV here. This does not include broadcast networks like NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox, and uh, the CW network, but includes all cable networks, at least all those that are subscribing to Nielsen, I would think. And these are cable originals, so this would not include reruns, for example, of Law & Order SVU on the USA Network. <laughs> or or uh, replays of movies like, like The Equalizer that served as the lead-in for AEW this week. But basically only for first-run original programs. But that includes sports and obviously news. So again, we're excluding the big three cable news networks, CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC. And we're still getting a percentage change in total audience from 16, 2016 to 2020 of 26%, down 26%. Meanwhile, Raw is down 41%. Again, this is total audience. Key demo, though. Key demo is closer. Uh, the top 150 from 2016 to 2020 is down 43%. 43% while Raw is down, again, 49%. So Raw doing a little bit worse in terms of percentage of change. Obviously, the, the WWE is still providing a relatively large P1849 audience, but it's it's declining at a faster rate than the average top 150 program. But what about sports? Well, when it comes to sports, uh, I looked at the four major team sports, their airings in prime time, and what you see is across the last five years, Monday Night Football and Thursday Night Football, both holding up better than Raw. Thursday Night Football growing, Monday Night Football uh, losing, but not losing as badly as Raw. That's both in key demo and total audience. But that's just the NFL. What about basketball? Basketball on TNT and ESPN. Basketball is in decline over those five years too, but Raw is in twice the decline that basketball is. I should say NBA, both in the key demo and total audience. But that's just the NFL and the NBA. What about baseball? Major League Baseball on FS1, ESPN, and TBS. In the key demo, those are all in decline, but not in decline as badly as WWE Raw. That's the key demo. What about total audience? In total audience, baseball on FS1 is actually declining worse than WWE Raw. So Raw can say, not in the key demo, but in total audience. It's holding its audience better than at least baseball on one channel, FS1. Now what about hockey? Hockey on NBC Sports Network. The NHL. They have primetime games, but I also looked at their, their non-primetime games. In the key demo, those NHL broadcasts are in decline, but not as badly as Raw. But what about the total audience? Over the last five years, they are in decline, but not as badly as WWE Raw. So again, among cable broadcasts for the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL, Raw is holding its audience better only than Major League Baseball broadcasts on FS1. Now, what about the network that Raw is serving, the USA Network? Here things look a little bit better. Over the last five years in the key demo, if you exclude all the WWE programming, USA Network's average, now, now granted, this is the average of the top 150 originals, so I, I'm not able to count anything that finished below the top 150. So we might think of this as a sample 
of the USA Network. But but in the key demo over the last five years, down 54% and raw down 50%. So raw holding up a little bit better than USA. And similar is true for the total audience. Raw is down 42% over five years and USA Network is down 47%. So the conclusion, uh, TV overall is doing is holding its audience better than raw tv or i should say not tv overall we're talking about cable here to be fair i imagine similar though would be true if we were including broadcast networks but cable overall doing better at holding its audience than raw even if you exclude the cable news networks cable overall doing better about holding its audience than raw both key demo and total audience the broadcasts for the four most popular team sports in the country, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL. With the exception of baseball on FS1, they're all doing better at holding their audience than WWE Raw. WWE Raw is doing a better job, though, at holding its audience than the USA Network overall. Probably a lot of scripted programming in that comparison. I haven't looked, but that would be my guess. So finally, why, why does all this matter? What are we trying to get at here? I think, again, what we're, uh, uh, the underlying thing that we're always trying to get at here is whether or not this matters in terms of judging the popularity of the brand, of, of the company's product. We're looking for some sort of volume adjustment to normalize the, the overall real attrition in most television viewing. And I think when you compare this to Wider trends across cable overall, key demo, total audience. And you compare this against uh, live sports, which in some ways WWE is. Uh, and, and my argument is always that, you know, wrestling is an overlap between scripted entertainment and live sports. It sort of lives in both of those worlds. That's why it's more, it's less DVR proof. WWE wrestling in, is less, less DVR proof than Sports are. Sports you more have to watch live, it seems. I know there are some people who will watch a sports game on DVR, but I think there's less of that by proportion than there are people who watch wrestling on DVR. Uh, this theory is also, uh, in, in my view, is explaining why uh, archival wrestling content is more rewatchable than old sports games. But anyway, I think what this shows... Maybe it doesn't tell you outright that, yes, the ratings declines tell you that WWE is getting less popular. But what it definitely doesn't do, it, it doesn't refute the idea that WWE's ratings declines over the last at least five years. It doesn't refute that they're not reflective of popularity. Because maybe you want to dismiss uh, the fact that sports are holding up better by saying, well, W isn't really completely a sport. It's more of a scripted program. And look, it's holding up just about as well as the USA Network is. But what's really harming that sort of dismissal is that, well, still, if you look at the, the change by percent in the average of the top 150 programs, and, and, and even as I, as I mentioned, even the top 100 programs, those programs, even when you exclude the news, they're holding up better than WWE. WWE, though, continues to be in the top five on Monday nights, almost every week. And it's live, and that makes it more DVR-proof than most programming. 
And that, for now, and in my view, in the future, is going to going to allow WWE to continue to be a very valuable sports property. But it's not as popular as it could be, and it has, in my view, especially when you look at this information in addition to the declines that we see year over year from 2016 onward in attendance, the year over year declines in merchandise sales, the decline throughout 2019 in WWE network subscribers, the year-over-year declines in each year since 2016 in Google web search for topics related to WWE in the U.S. and worldwide. By the way, the attendance declines, not just total attendance, but average attendance, not just in North America, but internationally as well. Like every other kind of content and entertainment and sport, everybody is competing with everybody else for time. George Berrios, the former CFO and co-president of WWE, liked to point out that Reed Hastings, the Netflix CEO, likes to talk about how we're in competition with everything. Anything that takes time, we are in competition with. Whether that's Fortnite, the game, or whether it's sleep, we are in competition with it. And WWE is in competition with all those things, arguably, as well. But the evidence so far suggests that at least WWE Raw is not standing up to that competition as well as many others. That's all for this week. There's so much else I want to talk about. Well, we're up against the hour here. My broadcast rights agreement with the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network is for 60 minutes only. That's not true. I can basically do whatever I want here. I get up to about three hours, probably. But I'm not going to do that. Can you imagine if I talk to myself for three hours here? Anyway, that's all for this week. If you want to support WrestleNomics... If you want to know what my estimate is of all of WWE's major TV deals, in fact, that is on the Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Support there for 5 or $10 a month if you are in a position to do so. Read my latest estimate on WWE Finances for Q4, for 2020, for 2021. 2022 is even in my estimate table, yes. That is on WrestleNomics.com now. The WrestleNomics GIF. Yes, we've expanded our media ecosystem. It's not just text. It's not just audio. It's not just images of charts and infographics. We are now entering the world of motion video. The aforementioned animated GIF. You can find it on Twitter, at WrestleNomics, or on my Twitter, at Brandon Thurston. And I'm Brandon Thurston, and I will talk to you next time.